Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today is The Stacks Book Club Day. We welcome back author and commentator Elamine Abdul-Mahmoud to discuss our book club selection, Season of Migration to the North by Tayeb Saleh. It's a 1966 classic novel about an unnamed narrator returning and readjusting to his Sudanese village following a long stint studying abroad in Europe. The book was named the most important novel of the 20th century by a panel of Arab writers and critics in 2001. Elamine and I dig into the story and its historical significance, as well as the ways issues of the day can be read into this text. There are plenty of spoilers in this episode, so please read the book before you dive in. Listen through to the end of today's episode to reveal our August book club pick. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love this show and you want more of it, please head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. We've got bonus episodes, a super active discord community, monthly book club meetups, and more. It's also a great way for you to show your support for the work we do on this independent black woman owned and run podcast. So head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join. Thank you to our newest members of the stacks pack, Janisa Conception, Amy, Irina, Suzanne Barron, Julie Chavez, and Cortu. Thank you all so, so much for your support. And of course, as always, thank you to the entire stacks pack. I could not do it without y'all. Okay. Now it is time for my chat with Elamine Abdul-Mahmoud about season of migration to the north. And reminder, 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 there are spoilers. All right, everybody, I am back. It is the Stacks Book Club Day. I am joined by the wonderful Elamin Abdel-Mahmoud. Elamin, welcome back to the Stacks. Hey, thanks for having me back. So happy. We're talking about season of migration to the north by Tayeb Salih. I did it wrong again, but I tried. And this is a classic Sudanese novel. It is. It's like one of those books that gets the title of like the great Sudanese novel. And before we say more, everyone who's listening, we are going to spoil this book. We're going to talk about what happens. We're not going to worry about you and your feelings. So (laughs) if you haven't read the book and you want to read the book, pause this episode, come back when you finished. Otherwise, here we go. So... (laughs) 
I've been doing this show for four years. And the first four years I did the show, I always just dive into the conversation and never explain what the book is about. But my resolution for 2022 is to try to remember to tell people what the fuck we're talking about. Just a general so, heads up. Yeah. To gonna come. <laughs> just yes. a quick rundown. Okay, so the book, Season of Migration to the North, is about a unnamed narrator who has gone away to school from Sudan to England and or so and has come back after about seven years and when he comes back there is a unknown man named Mustafa who he's like who the fuck is that and everyone's like that's Mustafa he just moved here we don't know a lot about him but he's yeah. he's married and um he's a chill dude he's got good vibes we like him and eventually unknown narrator and Mustafa realize or come together in a drunken night. Mm-hmm. Mustafa blows his cover as just an average Sudanese man. And he reveals he's a Sudanese man who also went away and learned white things in the white places of England and such. Yes. And that's the premise of the book. There's a lot of juicy stuff, which we'll get to. But that's the pre- premise. Okay. <laughs> you did, <laughs> did it. I Nailed think that it. was an excellent, uh, <laughs> excellent summary. That was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Now we're going to get to the good stuff. Generally speaking, can you, we always start here. Can you just tell us what you thought of the book? Of course. Well, okay. So first, first things first, like that's a complicated question because I read it in English. Um, and yeah. I read it in English. That, that was one of my follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> I read it in English, even though this book, Tayyip Saleh originally wrote it in Arabic. He was fluent in both Arabic and English, but I, my Arabic is atrophied and I have all kinds of complicated relationship to that. I can read most words, but can I follow an entire novel? No. And so I read the great, a great uh, translation by Dennis Johnson Davies. Dennis Johnson Davies has basically translated some of the greatest Arabic works of all time. And like, this is kind of his thing. This is the big translation that made him. So, you know, the book comes out in 1966. Johnson Davis um, translates it, I think, in like 1968 or 69, something like that, I want to say. So I read it in English, and that's complicated for me. Um, and mm-hmm. so right away, I'm already like, oh, no, I'm specifically like <laughs> picking a side, maybe, you know, or like, or at least like right. picking certain nuances that might not necessarily be represented because I'm reading this in English mm-hmm. and not in Arabic. But I, I have to say, like, I approach this book from this like long deep history that it has you know like like this is a book that my parents have talked about my mom was like yeah it was like banned for a little while and then they unbanned it and then they banned it again it's a book that has all of the rich complexities of sudan and its relationship to colonialism in it um and i approached it like homework because i was like well i guess i better know Mm -hmm. get to know the great sudanese novel if i'm going to sort of reflect about my relationship to to sudan so like that's that's how my that's how our relationship began okay This is a very basic question. Did you like the book? No, I felt very uncomfortable. Well, I mean, I liked the book, but but I didn't like reading it, if that makes sense. And and by that, I mean, like, as I was reading it, like, I really felt this tension between um, the unnamed narrator who is like, he's, he's gone away to the West and he wants to come back and he's like expecting to be treated in a certain way um, in his mm-hmm, village because mm-hmm. he's like, oh, he's like an educated man. And then there's one person who won't kind of give him that satisfaction. 
Um, there's one person that won't give him the satisfaction of treating him as like special because he went away to the West to study, and that's Mustafa Said. And it's like when, as, as he like is dealing with him, he realizes that he too went away to the West, but he hated it. He had this like really emotionally volatile relationship to the West, and so they took away different things from being in the West, and that is the central mm-hmm. tension of colonialism um i think and so it felt like really uncomfortable so i was like while i'm like reading it being like i'm really impressed by everything happening here i was also like this is very uncomfortable for me to read <laughs> yeah okay. what about you did you did you did you like it what's your vibe i really so i'm not a fiction person i don't okay. like fiction very much i read it obviously for my work and i do sure. read it sometimes i struggle with what i call fictiony fiction <laughs> and this book feels very fictiony to me. It yeah. has very much a book you'd be assigned in school vibes. I, as I was reading it, I was like, I've got to keep track of the Nile because I'm sure the Nile is a <laughs> metaphor for this. Or like, yes. you know, when he like early on when Mustafa Said is like talking talking about um, how he's a taut bow and there's like yeah. water skins, and I'm like, oh, I bet that in school. Like- there right, would be a damn. whole day dedicated to like the tension of the taut bow. Yeah. And so for me, I was just like, am I getting this? Why is this great? Like I couldn't relax into the book because it had been hyped up as great and because yeah. I knew that it was like historically important. So yeah. I came to it with like all this energy of like, I have to love this book to be a smart person who cares about Africa. You know? No, like, that's, that's too much pressure. In like a, a crazy a way. Yeah. that's too yeah. Much pressure. So I didn't love yeah. it. Okay. I struggled with it, but okay. there were some scenes that I was like, okay, I see you. I feel yeah. you. Like like Hosanna Bint Mahmood and and an old boy, old creepy boy. Uh yeah. what's his name? Uh oh, and Wad Reyes. Yeah. That stuff. Whew. Very uncomfortable. Okay. Very yeah. Rendered very uncomfortably on the page. Yeah. And like another thing that I don't love about fiction is I don't love when fi- when nothing happens. And while this is a short book, there is just one like there's just like a few scenes. You know what I mean? A lot of it is like internal reflection. Yeah. And so that stuff is harder for me. The scenes. Hello. Yeah. That last scene in the study. I was like, OK, creepy, creepy study with all the, Anglo things like. Yes. yes. And the dedication, like the book's dedication. But could, could we talk a little yeah. bit about. You not yes. liking um, fiction fiction, because I think that's a really interesting frame, because in many ways, like I was reading this, I was like, this isn't a book. This is a play. Like, it really feels like it's like so it's it's so scene oriented. And it's also so like every word I say has 85 different meanings. Mm-hmm. And like, that is and mm-hmm. there's there's an economy of writing in it. You know, I mean, it's like mm-hmm. so sh- it's a short book. It's 170 pages. It's so short. That you kind of My copy like, is 130 pages. <laughs> okay, that's it's incredible. very short. Crammed. I, in there. I, yeah, mine is way bigger for some reason. And it's still like only 170 <laughs> pages. And so like yeah. even within all of that as a framework, you kind of go like, okay, you are meant to do something very specific and precise in this. And maybe it's not meant to be a novel more than it is a play. And I was kind of looking up to be like, if it's been adapted into anything, you know, and like yeah. there's a couple of like theater adaptations, but like hasn't been a movie yet. And that's that's interesting to me. Anyway. That was one of my questions for you. Was like, do you think this should be a movie? And I think that it should or could be. I think mm-hmm. it, the problem is it would be done poorly. I just this is like the kind of story that I just know would get fucked up so bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it would make for a good thing to watch, but it would be done horribly, and like the white women would become unbearable, and it would become all about them, and it would be 
a nightmare. Oh, that's a really interesting point too, because I think like on the screen, seeing three white women kill themselves in relationship to mm-hmm. this dude. Okay, that's right. We already set up people for spoilers. Um, yeah. And then a fourth one get violently murdered um, as he's sort of like playing out his relationship to colonialism. I actually don't think you can render that on screen anymore. Like, I think like we've sort of moved yeah. past that in our screen politics and even even yeah. possibly in our novel politics. Like, I think you could do this shit in 1966, you know, but like mm-hmm, you can't, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. can't do that now. That's just, no, it's just a no. Well, right. Cause like, okay. So one of the things as I was reading the book is I was like, okay, I get that this is about colonialism and like white yeah. Western and Eastern, but a lot of the book, I was just like, this is a book about sexism. <laughs> Yeah, like, this is a book about misogyny, which yeah. when you read about the book in places like like a Cliff Notes moment or like those kind of places that t- summarize these books, they don't talk about misogyny. And I no. thought that was so interesting because in reading it, all I could think about was the politics of male, female. And then I was like, well, maybe like as I was pretending to be an English teacher, I was like, well, maybe you know, the author is using women and men as a metaphor for the East and the West. Mm. And so that's why it feels like so polarizing. I don't know if he is, but like I like the scene with Hosanna and Juarez or whatever, like I kept thinking that he's supposed to be the West and she's supposed to be Sudan or African countries or whatever. And like yeah. he's abusing her. So she finally like is like, fuck you, I'm gonna kill you. But yeah. then I couldn't really resolve the metaphor of like her killing herself. I was like, does that mean that the Sudanese people he thinks that they're gonna like I guess like turn on themselves or and I guess some of that is what happened. So I don't know. That's like a lot of the sexism stuff and like misogyny, I kept reading but i know i was reading it obviously through this 2022 lens and not at all through this 1966 lens yeah so i don't know just there was a lot there that's a listen that's a tough thing to reconcile it's a tough thing to reconcile because this was like this wasn't a tape solid problem it was like everybody was writing like this everybody was like yeah the woman shall be the metaphor for the thing and then things will happen to her and then it'll be like this is like you know yeah um and 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 it's something that we look at now as like you know it's that fiction to fiction thing you're talking about. It's like, it's like the metaphor is too strict almost. Like it's like too bound to the specific meaning. Like this person is supposed to represent this one specific idea and no other ideas. I do think that uh, that interaction, like maybe what Raiz was meant to represent, like an old an unmodern conception of Sudan, if you will, and mm. the ways that you might like continue to can make yourself a victim to it in a way, while the people who are educated in the West are sort of like wringing their hands about how to get involved. But right. But again, like that lands as too heavy a metaphor. You know what I mean? Like it's it's it's, it's almost too economical. Like it's like give me something mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. because if. Otherwise, it should just be a play. Otherwise, like maybe novel is like not the 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 form to render this particular story. But having said that, right? Who the fuck am I to say? You know what's to be a novel, what's not to be a novel? Well, right. And I don't necessarily like. I mean, I have a background in theater, so I think about plays a lot. But I don't necessarily think about plays as being super different from novels in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, I think they do similar things. 
depending on the novel. Some novels are very far from plays. But like they, the use of language and like the poetry and the metaphor and the theme and all of that stuff. But there's just like more of a visual aspect in the we, theater. Can we fold in a little bit of biography into this? Yes. Because like I think it's yeah. really interesting to think about like Taib Sala himself as a figure because like he left Sudan, but he never yeah. went back. He never went back. He was writing so much of this stuff from London, like so much of mm-hmm. most of his literary career happened while he was abroad. Um, like he visited, but he never went back to sort of like stay and like live there. And I think to me, that's interesting um, because it's like, are we to understand this as like his own complexity with colonialism mm-hmm. and like being educated by the colonialists? You know, I think he studied I think his university education was in Sudan, but then he left and he just like didn't didn't come back, you know, and maybe there's something to be said about like not looking too deeply into the author's biography and how it's woven into the text. But I'm like, right. I, I, I couldn't divorce off from the text. It kept on being like, is this you? Are you trying to like inject yourself into the story in this way? Like, are you the unnamed narrator sort of unsure mm. of how to help this new country while you're watching people who've come to hate colonialism kind of destroy themselves in different ways? Yeah. I read his biography about him. Like I looked up, looked him up after I finished the book. Yeah. So I didn't read the book knowing that about him. Right. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything about him. I purposefully didn't. I also purposefully didn't read the introduction until after I finished the book. Good call. Because I like to go into these things like, okay, I'm reading this classic novel on my own. Yeah. Like, let me see how it <laughs> lands. But yeah. I do think, I mean, I I think that when the biography of the author becomes part of the book, it becomes complicated because is it our place to say that this is or isn't, you know, their intent, right? Like, I feel like that's a conversation that comes up all the time now, especially with authors of color or authors like queer authors or authors from different countries. Yeah. It's like we read these books through the lens of their biography when maybe they're just like trying to tell a story. And obviously you can't separate this from him because we do know that he went away like we do know that he's from the sudan we do know that he left yeah it's like you know i mean i don't know i think it's both things right like he's in the book i'm sure and Mm -hmm. also he's not i mean but what do you (laughs) i guess like what's interesting about that is that uh you specifically try to distance yourself from the introduction and like the larger um, mm-hmm. narrative context about, you know, the, the novel existence, just to be like, let me just engage with the work. But I would find that in many ways to be really, really hard to do because a specific, specifically the novel, like Season of Migration, like it's uh, when you read the introduction, you're like, this novel is supposed to be doing work, right? Like it's supposed to be like doing right. specific work in a political climate, you know? Mm-hmm. And you kind of go like, oh, how does this interact with what I know was happening in, you know, in mm-hmm. the Middle East or in Africa or in Sudan at the time? And sometimes the introduction can can be so helpful in that because like 1966 is what had come out 10 years after Sudan gained its independence. And like, that's like a really sensitive moment in a, in a growing mm-hmm. sort of independence of a country, but also a country that very immediately was plunged into civil war even before it gained its independence. Um, And so all of these kind of come into play when you consider how he's casting these characters about, you know? So I don't know. I'm of two minds of this. I think like, I think it'd be tough to go into this cold in a way. Well, so, okay. I didn't go in completely cold because I read your essay in your book that talked about this book. So you did some of that work for me that the introduction did. Gotcha. Um, 
because you put it in context. So I had a little bit of the context, but I didn't like go out of my way to read more about the book until I finished it. Okay. Part of it is because spoilers everywhere. The introduction is full of spoilers. I'm like, can you guys <laughs> not tell me what happens to everybody in the first, like it's only a 140 page book and you've told me everything that happens. Yeah. And so now I'm here. Like, so I learned my lesson a few books ago doing that, reading a classic book, reading the introduction first. Of course. Um, but I did go back and read it, of course, because I was very curious. My my introduction is from Layla Lalami, and I was curious what she had to say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I and I think part of my difficulty reading this book is that I don't know a ton of history about the Middle East, Africa, the Sudan in the 1950s and 60s. Like that's yeah. not something that I was taught in school. I'm sure that comes as exactly 0% su- surprise to anyone sure. who is an American listening to this and probably many Canadians. Yeah, most people, um, yeah. Yeah, like I just don't think we're, I mean, it's not that I don't think, we're not taught the history, recent history of the world in yeah. colonialized nations or maybe anywhere, I don't know. And so like I like one of the things I was thinking about was like, you know, there's the three women that kill themselves and then there's the woman who he kills. And I was like, are they supposed to be metaphors for specific like kinds of Sudanese people or specific kinds of Western people and like that are drawn to him? Because, you know, because they're drawn to him for different reasons. Like there's the one woman who's like, I knew I loved you the moment I heard your name. And she like goes to some event and they like fall in love. But then there's yeah. the other woman who's married and has cancer. And I'm like, is she supposed to be a metaphor for like the Egyptians or like, you know what I mean? Like I just, yeah. I really struggled to try to like make sense of what he was making sense of. Cause I have no doubt if you are in Sudan in 1968 or whatever, this book means a lot different. I think that's true. Um, but uh, I don't know if those, met- specifically those women, I don't know if they were supposed to be sort of individual different um, metaphors so much as um, in many ways, they represent different ways of exotification, right? Like the different ways of he is a black man in the UK and he's being seen in a different and very like, um, attractive light. He wants to be seen in this light. Right. And it does something to him. It does something to his self-worth. And he's like, I know that, you know, I am hated, but in many in other ways I'm also desired. What does that do to a person? And right. um, I was really struck by the ways that he rendered that last relationship, the one where he does murder the woman. But like it's uncomfortable to talk about. You know what I mean? It's uncomfortable yeah. to talk about what 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 was your reaction to that one? Okay, so same. again, same, I'm same reading this through side. 2022, yeah. right? Like, and I can't not see the way that black men and white women are portrayed in so much of like 1995 media. Like, it mm-hmm. just felt like so bad. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, is it like, like as in like not necessary like or as in like badly rendered? It just felt like so sti- like it's like, oh, of course, the black man is the brute and like the woman. But then I guess they sort yeah. of flips because she's egging him on. And I also love Shakespeare and Othello is one of my favorite plays ever. And so there's all these references to Othello. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking about that framework because in Othello, Desdemona is like really the victim. There's no sense of like her cheating. There's this handkerchief in both of the books, mm-hmm. but in 
Othello. It's placed there by Amelia Iago's wife by accident. She didn't know what she was doing. I love Amelia, <laughs> one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, the handkerchief is left behind by like another man because Isabella Seymour is having an affair or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like she's painted as more evil and like conniving. I don't... I thought that that part of the book was the most compelling, like finally getting to the end and like hearing how that story broke out, I thought was really compelling. But of yeah. course, as I'm reading it, I'm feeling like this makes black men look bad and like this makes women look bad. And this whole thing is weird. And then I was like, oh, is this some sort of like sexual? Did they die having sex? Like he was aroused by this thing mm-hmm. that happened to them. I don't know. It just felt I, I don't know how to make sense of it, I guess. There's this quote that I think about a lot from France Fanon, um, where he's sort of, I think it's in Wretched of the Earth. Um, he sort of talks about the toll that colonialism exacts on the black person um, and the black mm-hmm. psyche specifically. Um, maybe it's in black skin, white masks. I can't keep my France Fanon straight, but he sort of talks who about who can, who among us <laughs> is able to do something like that. Um, but, uh, he sort of talks about wanting to be loved as a white man. Um, Mm -hmm. he's saying that like, there's something about like how, you know, by loving me, I'm sort of, you know, by a a white woman loving him, he sort of is like, oh, so then I become worthy of white love, which makes me, Mm -hmm. which transforms me as a person. I think, um, Tape Sala was trying to play with some of these ideas of what are the types of love that you desire what are the type mm-hmm. of ways that you desire to be seen as? And like, it's, I, I think you're right. Like there's something about these characters on the one hand being too reduced to their metaphor, but on mm-hmm. the other, does that sharpen the metaphor or does it make it like weaker? Like I, that, I, I, I constantly struggle with that question with this novel is like, does, right. is that like, is the metaphor too stripped of um, the unnecessary stuff and therefore sharper or is the metaphor too weak because it's like it's too like this character represents this thing, and, and I don't yeah. know. I don't. Know. I I haven't settled I on a place either. when it comes to that. I don't. I have. I have also not settled on a place for that. Yeah. I think. I don't know. I think that the metaphor is like very pointed, and to that point, it this does feel like a play. Right. right. Like, I feel like plays are like, this is the metaphor. Yes. But I think par- I think part of my issue and the reason that I'm having a hard time saying whether it's like too stripped or too strong or whatever is because I don't understand the context well enough for this entire book. Mm, and okay. so to me, it feels very like this is a metaphor. But I also wonder, again, like if I'm reading this book with the, with with the knowledge and the context and like. You know, I think like, for example, I think if I read a novel from the 1960s about race in America. Yeah. In this same style, right? Like, he, yeah, he's from the South and he goes to the North and he's treated not badly, even though, of course, he is because racism is there, too. But whatever. Sure. I think that I would understand it better and be able yeah. to be like, oh, I see what he's doing with this metaphor. And like, it's so obvious, but really he's playing at this or that. And I don't have yeah. that context for this book. And so it's really hard to know what it would feel like like even in, yeah, yeah, like even in 2022, I think I could 
grapple with a 1966 novel about American racism in a way that I just don't have the chops to grapple with this. So um, some of the so let's let's fill in I guess like some of the context like some some yeah, of the context please. might be you know so like you have like this newly independent Sudan that really wants to identify more with the Arabs than it does the blackness like the black parts of Africa but that's divided north and south right like the like yes. the north is where the seat of the government is and the people who yes. have been appointed to govern yeah. in the Sudan are the people who are appointed by the Egyptians and the British. And the and British. those are like the light-skinned Arab yeah. North. Yeah, Arab and then descended. in the South, there's like the black, more African, if you will, vibe. Yeah. That's okay. a, yes, but, the, but so like when you have a country that is divided that way and like you have the North quite sure that it should be allowed to govern, that it should be quite, mm -hmm. you know, like allowed to maintain its position of power. You, I think, have to do quite a few mental gymnastics to say, I am more superior to these people. I These are the ways mm -hmm. that I will align myself with the occupiers, that I align myself with the colonialists. Um, in order to gain more and more proximity to them, you've got to kind of see yourself in a certain light. And I guess like that's some of the context that's missing here in the sense that Types that would have been seeing the ways that Sudan as a country and the way that it was being founded was trying to specifically write out certain parts of the country and say like this doesn't really belong in our conception of what Sudan is, um, mm. but 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 doing so is is like making yourself blind to everything that you are like to the people that you belong to it sort of dehumanizes certain people and like right. and there's there's a backwards lookingness to that, right. Do you think that, or I guess let me ask you for, I mean, we'll speak to your parents specifically because you mentioned that they'd read it. Yeah. Do they feel warmly about this book? I think they feel warmly that it's an achievement. You know what I mean? I don't, okay. I don't know if it's possible to feel warmly about this book. Like I, I it's a Got grim, it. it's a grim book, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like proud of, like, do they, hold or like, it do they embrace it? Do they embrace this book or are they like, oh. That Tayeb Sully is a is he's full of it kind of vibe. They do. They I think I think they do. They do. Like my mom sort of talks badly about having read it when she was in school and having to sort of like do like reports on it, you know. Um, but then also my dad talks about watching the more um, aggressively conservative Muslim government come in and say we're banning this book because it sort of like it renders us in a light that we don't want to be seen. Like there's all these people mm. are like they're having sex and they're getting drunk and like is that really how we want to see ourselves? And so it kind of becomes mm -hmm. a site of conflict in that way. Like as a mm -hmm. mirror is contested, and so. Um, right. I think my my dad just being naturally who he is, he's drawn to that. He's drawn to like the idea of like this is a really contested book because you know for many many years, Sudan's government wanted to ban it. I think it's like now widely available in Sudan, but like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's you know what happens when a book kind of becomes banned is it becomes like what does it say about us? It's so bad that we don't want to even we right. don't even want to hold up this part of our of our history and see it. But I think generally speaking, yeah, it is it is highly regarded. Right. Okay. I want to ask a question about the actual like content of the book and less about its social context. Okay. My standout scene, the murder suicide, of course, because I have problems, love a murder, love a suicide in a book. Mm, um, oh, wow. Okay. 
I just like dark books. I like I like when, you know, bad shit happens. Mm-hmm. Throughout the book, the narrator, uh, or throughout this section, the narrator keeps being like, how is this connected to Mustafa Said? He keeps asking, like, how is he sort of to blame for this? Yeah. I'm wondering what you think. Is he to blame for this? Like, is this his legacy? Or is this just like a totally unrelated bad thing that happens to these characters? I think it's a bad thing that happens to these characters, but the narrator's obsession is this must say something about people who are like me, right? This must must Mm. say something to where people like me. So like, that's why it must say something about someone like Mustafa Said. Like, so like, I think Mm. that's something that it's kind of like the looking for conflict within yourself in a way. It's, Mm. It's sort of like assuming that because he's like me, he must have caused something like this to happen. He must have been the person to do this. That's how I read that. Like I read that as like searching for catastrophe, if you will, searching Mm -hmm. for the ways that you are the originator of evil. And yeah, that was my interpretation of it. What about you? Interesting. I don't know. I I kept thinking like, so, okay. I read the narrator and Mustafa's relationship as, I read Mustafa as like an unreliable character. Mm. And so I read him like I read skeptically about him like I was like oh this can't be true like I don't believe it he didn't do this this isn't how it happened this isn't how the trial (laughs) went so when we get to this part where it's like oh how is he responsible like I'm looking for answers I sort of was like this actually isn't his fault like this can't be laid at his feet he's been dead but now when I'm thinking about it more I'm like maybe just this association with him like him introducing any sort of different ideas into this community that's like very insular by choice. Like they Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, the fact that Mustafa is able to marry Hosanna is because Hosanna's dad, like sort of doesn't give a fuck about like the ritual and the rules within the community. But normally the women of this community don't marry people who aren't from the community. Like that's clearly stated. So now I'm starting to think maybe he's to blame just by like when you put, a drop of red food coloring in the water, it all turns kind of pink. Like, the it's not like it caused a tidal wave, but it does sort of shift. Like he's thing. sort of like the wild factor. Who's like- Yeah, but then on the flip side of that, she didn't even know what was going on with him. Like she says that he has this room. I don't even know what's in there. So it's not like he was espousing these other ideas. But then on the flip side of that, after everything happens, everyone who's still alive is like, this doesn't happen here. This doesn't happen here. This doesn't happen. We don't do this. We've never had a murder. We've never had this situation. Yeah. And so. But this is what I mean by looking for a catastrophe, yeah. right? In the sense of like, being yeah. like, it must be due to this person. Because like, you don't think that murder suicide would have happened anyway without him. You know what I mean? Like, do you not think so? If he had. Well, the problem is that she becomes a widow because he dies. So like. Yes you know, chain of events. Of course, none of this would happen because she would have been married to someone mm-hmm. else probably before him and then maybe they would still yeah. be alive, whatever. But let's just take it for he dies and she gets married to him and if she, if her original husband had not been him but just like a, another person from That's the town, I mean. yeah. does this happen? I mean, maybe, I don't know, whenever terrible things happen, everyone who knows the person and loves the person says, they weren't like this. They never would have done this. This kind of stuff doesn't happen in this town. Yeah. But the shit happens in towns. The shit happens like in towns. Some, and like someone has to be to someone has to do it. And 
does that mean that everyone that they met is somehow to blame? Well, especially some a figure like Mustafa Said, who like like there's such like a a natural inclination to be like, and it's because of that relationship. It's because of what he right. like, the darkness that he brought to this place. Whereas but in then fact, that also the damage like, that he, that well, it's just that the damage that he did was mostly internal, right? Like that's right. Like that's the part that's so striking. Is like be, maybe being around someone who's that damaged, it does something to you. I don't know, but um, right. my interpretation was that like I don't think this can be laid at his feet. Yeah, that's how I feel. But then the other part is like, and who knows if this was intentional or again, a 2022 reading, but then you can Mm -hmm. read that as a horrible, like anti-immigrant sentiment almost. Like this outsider comes into our community and destroys our pure murder-free zone. But he's not an outsider, right? Like that's what's complicated, right? Is that like- But he is because he's not from their community. I understand. But what I mean to say is that like, as like a returning Sudanese person who has like sure. this kind of like conception of like, here's like my idea of this homeland and I'm going to live out maybe like a fantasy of the rural Sudanese life. Um, right. Like there's something about the fact that he's returning to that full of this hatred, full of, mm-hmm. I mean, all the awful things that he did when he was um, in the West that like, to me, makes him a compelling kind of chaos character, but not one mm-hmm. that you specifically go to be like, okay, he's an immigrant and therefore he's responsible for our bad sort of things. You know oh, no, I mean? no, I don't think he's an immigrant. I think he's a metaphor for the immigrant. That's what oh, I, I see. Because he be- he became foreign in a way. Yes, because he's mm. an, well, because he's a foreigner to this small community. He's this, not a foreigner to the community. country, but he's yeah. like, I think if you're reading this with a anti-immigrant lean, you could easily yeah. read into him as being the fault. You know what I mean? But I think that, again, right. is a 2022 lens that I'm reading it with. I know that in the context of the story, he's not an immigrant. He's just like a city guy who comes to the town, basically. Yes. Um, yeah. But if you're reading like for all the metaphors, I was like, oh, you could read this as a metaphor for outsider or like immigrant or whatever. And yeah. you could say that he brought violence. It's like very Trumpian. It's very... Mexican murderer rapists, right? That's such an interesting read that would have just never occurred to me. I'm so, I'm so fascinated by that. And I think it's because I was so obsessed with just trying, trying to think about the tensions of 1966 less than the tensions right. of 2022. You know what I mean? Like it, in the sense of, you know, what would lead like a city guy to go to like this village? Um, right. And like part of the motivation is you want to find peace, but part of the motivation is you want to maybe return to an idea of Sudan that never existed. Like that's right. why is like, this is like the most sort of frozen kind of version of, of Sudan that you could find. Right. And I think what's interesting about Taib Sali is that like he writes, a lot of his novels are set in the same place. Like a, a lot in of the his same, novels like, are like in fictional the same, town, right? In the same fictional town. And I think it's because for him, like that's, that can be a site where you can crash all these ideas into each other and mm. see what happens. And so it, that felt like, to me, that felt like more natural because, but also I sort of knew that going in, right? I knew that going into right. the novel. So maybe you're right. Maybe like reading too much about the novel beforehand can really affect the well, way you end up reading it. As I mentioned, actually let's, well, I'll do it now and then we'll take a break. As I mentioned, <laughs> I love Shakespeare. And yes. one of the things about Shakespeare, again, to your point about this maybe being a play, is that when you do Shakespeare, you don't have to do it in 1605 London. You know, you can set Othello in Vietnam 1971, you know, like, or you can set it in 
Chicago or whatever you want. Yeah. And I feel like what makes this book kind of, you know, stand the test of time, if you will, is that you can very well read this book 1966 or like 1956 or whatever when it's set. But you can also mm-hmm. like add things on to it like I have done because I'm, again, really good at inserting myself into things. Um, <laughs> yes. But I do think that that's the kind of thing that makes a good book a great book is when you can yeah. do that. Like I think a book that I don't think is great, but I know people think is great is like The Great Gatsby. And I feel like yeah. that's one of those books that has that fictiony fiction thing where it's like you can project these ideas from the 1920s, but also these ideas from the 2020s. And I do right. feel like this book has room for that has a lot, that. which is like yeah. the misogyny part of it. I don't think that that was the point. I don't think he was trying to be like, I'm going to write about sexism, but hello, here yeah. I am here. And I'm ta- we're talking about female circumcision and it feels really different in a yeah. pre post row world, you know, like right. hundred percent. Um, first of all, pre post row is a great expression. Um, it's like, well, a cause tragic, we're not fully post row, but like post. we're pre post. <laughs> You're in this sort of twilight zone where like, we know this is happening, but it hasn't happened. It's coming. Has it come since we've been recording? It's possible. Yeah. And it's, probably well, when you thing, all are like, listening, this yeah. it will have come because we're recording that's, this at the end of June. So just that's FYI. very true. That's very true and very complicated. But uh, I think there's something about the sparseness of the book too, right? That lets you sort mm-hmm. of project all those things into it because the more details you have filled in, the less space there is for your interpretation of these things. Um, I mean, I think the same deal with the with the Great Gatsby in the sense of like, because of its slimness, it sort of allows you to be like, let me fold in all of these social contexts that didn't necessarily exist in there. I think the difference with this book though is that um, it's a matter of whether you allow yourself to insert too much that isn't about migration specifically right like and by this i mean just like the the sort of internal colonial conflict because Mm -hmm. as as a book about that is very sharp and very focused as a book about lots of other things it gets a little bit less it gets a little bit more murky right yeah it doesn't become a i guess it's not a book about those things but it's a book that references those things yeah like i would not say that this is a book about an like about a metaphor for immigration at all but i would say that there are moments where it's like if you wanted to read into this book you could find that there if you wanted to read this into that book you could find that there okay wait let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back taking care of your health isn't always easy but it should be at least simple that's why for the last Three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. 
If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, we're back. Um, very quick break. <laughs> um, okay, I we talked about this at the start, and I wanted to ask you about this last time, but we ran out of time, about language. Because one of the moments in your book, Son of Elsewhere, that I found really striking was when you were talking to an employee at your dad's store, and the word disturbed came up, and you didn't mm. know what it meant. And then he yeah. like sort of explained it to you. And then I kept reading like the next few sentences and I was like, oh my God, this is a person who as a child did not speak English and was learning English at like formative years for becoming an adult. And now yeah. your job is to explain words and things to people using this language that you learned. Yeah. Is that trippy for you? It's really hard. It's genuinely really hard. Like in, in the sense that like, I'm always like, what, what, what license do I have to just like interpret words in this way? Um, I think like you have to sort of eventually give yourself license to be like, I do this work for a living and I've been, and like the proof of me doing it is that I've been doing it, but mm -hmm. it's a hard journey to begin doing because you're like, mm. I'm new to this. And it's, it's like, right. when do you begin to feel less new? And then eventually like capable of commentary and analysis, you know what I mean? Um, right. I was I was 12 when I started learning how to speak English. Like, that's pretty late in life, you know? Yeah. It, and it yeah. feels pretty late in life. So I feel complicated about that part all the time, all the time. I just think it's so interesting because you – I noticed it before that part of the book. There was like – I can't remember what the word was, but you explained what a word meant in a really interesting yeah. and like – totally accurate way and I was like wow mm. what a great way to explain whatever this is and then you mentioned that part and I was like oh my god of course right he this is he learned English and now he is yeah. shaping English and I think that's so fucking cool thank you um, I I really like that part of my job you know but also yeah. I like to think that it gives me this like uh this unique perspective of you know it doesn't none of it is taken for granted and so a lot of it i just mm -hmm. kind of feel like i can take apart and put together as i please and maybe it works really well sometimes and other times i'm like elamine what are you doing why are you doing this uh, <laughs> and i honestly like those moments come together most of the time don't we all have those moments um part of my struggle reading this book is i felt like the language was really stilted 
Mm-hmm. And I couldn't tell if that's because like in Arabic, there's a use of like more metaphor in language or if that's just stylized for this particular author because in your book you do talk about how you don't speak Arabic like an adult you speak like a child because that's as far as you really learned Arabic and so I was wondering if like because the way that you talked about in that book in your book also you sort of talked about how you couldn't articulate like these complex feelings around grief in the case of this essay because you just didn't have the range. And I'm wondering if in Arabic there is more use of metaphor in language and like the language is a little more heightened. Definitely. Like Arabic is by nature, like a deeply flowery language, you know, Okay. Um, to the point where it's like regular everyday conversation contains a lot of elaborate metaphors, which are like, I would say in English are replaced by, like placeholder idioms a lot. Like there's a lot of idioms that we just kind of mm. use as shorthand for a lot of, you know, different expressions. But I'm um, in Arabic, like there's, there's a lot of metaphor and like there is, um, I have a fear, but also a real curiosity about reading season of migration in Arabic because mm. I can read Arabic. I just, I don't know how to speak it at that level. And I keep being like, one day I will gather the nerves necessary to go and do that. Um, just so I can sort of like grasp my mind around, the ways that that economy of translation ended up working, you know, because mm. um, like sometimes a metaphor will be deployed and it will take me, no joke, like paragraphs and paragraphs to try to begin to explain what that metaphor was trying to stand in for. And so mm. I think the fact that the translation was so short is like so impressive to me that hmm. it's something I want to spend some more time with for sure. Okay. I'm glad to you for you to say that because I definitely felt like it was stilted and I was like, is this me? But maybe it's just the translation is the translation. Okay. Yeah. Last thing we have to talk about, the ending. Yes. What do you it's, think happens? This is, okay. Do well, you, he lives. He swims. Do you think he, he lives? rescued. Yeah, he wants to live. Oh, is there an option that he dies? I No, I mean, he's just yelling help. So I don't know if he's like, you know, like, is he getting rescued as in it's going to work or is he? Oh. So there's an option that he's yelling help and he still drowns. Yeah. Too late. It's too late. He's too far gone. What if he's what if he's too far gone? Mm. So I read it that he lived, okay. which is unlike me. I usually pick a death if there's an option for death, <laughs> but I didn't even really think that was his an option. Wi- his will to live certainly came back, right? His will to, to to sort of like say, no, I want to play a part in my country and my community and the place where I live. Yeah, that that suddenly kind of came bursting forth. But the question is like whether it was too late. Okay, here's the thing. I think he lives, but I think he becomes a shitty person. like I don't think he lives and is like okay I'm gonna take what I've learned and like do right by my community and like come back home and like be here and and whatever I think he lives and he's like I'm gonna spend more time in the city I'm gonna bring more white shit here I'm gonna try to become a prime minister like I think he goes full conservative asshole yeah um I buy that I buy that conception of like where he goes from there in terms of um feeling like needing to contend with the legacy of Mustafa Saeed and what that does to a person. Mm-hmm. I always kind of interpret, I, I, if I was a more more compelling interpretation to me to interpret it as he, just at the moment of deciding to live, he dies. That's a and, better ending. Is he, <laughs> <laughs> just in the sense of like finally getting to the point where like you kind of understand yourself and your relationship to this and you've maybe worked out how to not be um a toxic person while also carrying with you 
all the useful seeds yeah. of the West. And then as you pull those together out of you and you go, okay, I've got it, then you don't make it. But I, I like... I like your ending. I like your ending better than I like my ending. So I don't know. No, your ending's better. Okay, cover and title. What's your cover look like? Do you? Is it this thing? No, not at all. What is? My what cover's is that thing? so fucking hideous. What no is clue. that thing? It's like the mountains, and then there's okay. like a moon, and then there's like a claw <laughs> in the water. I'm assuming I mean, that's the Nile. It's a very still portion of the Nile, I guess, and there is a shallow claw. Can you out? can you tell me what does it have a name for that painting? Like what the hell is that? Mm, cover Im- image. It's the scapegoat by William Holman Hunt. Jesus, nope, that's not the cover that I have. Hold Do you on, have the cool orange one? one? No, I have a blue one. Uh, there's a cool orange one with like a lady on it that I really wanted. Couldn't find it. Mine's boring, man. It's like a Penguin Classics cover. Hold on. Oh, okay. It's like this one. Wait, can you see? Not you can't really. see. No. Let me describe it. It's got like this yeah. like old coffee cup that oh. has been shattered. Oh, no, it's mm. a vase. It's been like shattered on the carpet. Um, oh, that's what Isabella this. made him do. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's beautiful, but um, I kind of wish I had yours. Mine's not very compelling to me. I'm like, I have no idea. I thought this book was gonna be about monsters. Um, and then yeah. the title, Season of Migration to the North. I have no particular thoughts, positive or negative about that. Same. But, but, yeah, what about you? Like, did you, re- I read the novels, like this could have been called anything else. Like that's, it could have been know. called, it could have been called Mustafa said, and it would have been equally as informative as Season of Migration to the North. It means nothing to yeah. me. Yeah, okay, I agree. Um, I It's something that I wanted to ask people about. I was like, should I, I'm going to go back to my parents and be like, why is this book called that? Like, what's the deal with this? And so I, is there is there a specific bird that has um, a season where it migrates north that I don't know about? You know, I, I, I got questions. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah. It was, it yeah. didn't, I don't know what I thought it was going to be, the book it was going to be about, but it wasn't about what I thought season of migration to the north was, but it wasn't not about that. I don't know. Was your was your friend who recommended this book to you? Are they Sudanese? Like, is that how they? No, got? it's Reggie Reads. Do you know him on Instagram? He loved the book. He read it a few months ago. He does this thing okay. called Ten Books, Ten Decades Challenge, where in yeah. the calendar year he challenges people to read a book from ten different decades. And he read this for the nineteen sixties, and That's he great. said he loved it. And it's like one of his top ten favorite books ever. And yeah. I was like, okay, well, I have to, if it's one of your top 10, I have to read it. It's not one of my top 10 ever, but I'm really glad we read it and did it because I've never read a book by a Sudanese national aside from you and hey, him. I guess you're not a Sudanese national. You're a Canadian national now. Or what are, you're both? It's complicated. I am, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm mostly Canadian, but I, you know, right. I don't, I don't think I can well, be I've, stripped yeah. of my citizenship. So, you know. No. Yeah, so yeah. you're both. But your book and this book together in my mind are the two books I read by Sudanese people. And I cool. am glad that I did. And I thought it was really interesting. And I think it's cool to read classic literature from other countries. Have you like, ever read? I just don't um, do it enough. Have you ever read Leila Abu Lala? No. Most often, I think in, in English style, as is Leila Abu Lila, is like how it's usually written. Mm-mm. She's like probably the most no. prominent Sudanese writer working now, I would say. Uh, okay. She wrote like Lyrics Alley, is one of her books. That's probably her like big one. No, but I'm going to check it out. I Get really like it. reading books by people who aren't American. Yes. It's my new favorite. Thing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they're better. 
<laughs> don't shh, shh, don't tell America. <laughs> I won't tell America. America, don't listen to this. Okay, everybody, this is Elamine Abdel Mahmoud, and he wrote the book Son of Elsewhere, and you can get his book anywhere you get your books. And Elamine, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And everyone else, we will see you in the sacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much to Elamine for being our guest. And a special thank you to Abdi Omer for helping make this conversation possible. Okay, announcement time. Our book club pick for August is the Personal Essay Collection, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi. We will be discussing this book on Wednesday, August 31st, and you can find out who our guest will be for breaking down this book by tuning in next week. Let me just say, I am very excited. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack and make sure to subscribe to the stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please take a moment to leave a rating and a review. For more from the stacks, follow us on social media at the stacks pod on Instagram and at the stacks pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>